This is The Guardian. Today, stopped or stalled? Understanding the Supreme Court ruling on the government's controversial Rwanda policy. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. When the government first proposed sending asylum seekers to Rwanda, it sounded chilling, but also totally ludicrous. People don't come across the channel illegally. Right. Without, without you can that. still say Rwanda with a straight face. I mean, that's a, <laughs> an extraordinary achievement. Why, why do you say that? Three prime ministers later, and it is still government policy. Yesterday, the Supreme Court said the scheme was unlawful and struck it down. But Rishi Sunak is not giving up. We are a reasonable government, and this is a reasonable country. But the British people's patience can only be stretched so thin, and they expect the boats to be stopped. That is why I made it one of my five priorities. And whatever our critics might say, we are making progress. He says the plan is not dead, and he's ready to bring it back in a workable form, possibly within days. I will not allow a foreign court to block these flights. If the Strasbourg court chooses to intervene against the expressed wishes of Parliament, I am prepared to do what is necessary to get flights off. From The Guardian, I'm Nasheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, the government's Rwanda plan gets a reality check. Peter Walker, you're The Guardian's deputy political editor, and you've been covering the twists and the turns of the government's Rwanda deportation scheme. How did the five Supreme Court judges explain their unanimous ruling? They were at pains to say this was not a political choice. This was just purely about the law, and in particular, whether asylum seekers who were deported could be assured that they would be safe. And the basis for the conclusion was that for a whole series of legal reasons, not just connected, this is crucial, not just connected to the European Convention on Human Rights, but because of UK laws connected to the Refugee Convention, there was not a surety that they could be safe and they would be treated properly and would not be wrongly sent back to where they were originally came from. And so it was struck down. The ruling was very measured, but in terms of what it represented for the government, it's about as difficult as it could be. The changes needed to eliminate the risk of reformant may be delivered in the future, but they have not been shown to be in place now. The Home Secretary's appeal is therefore dismissed. So it's not the actual idea of offshoring detention that is fundamentally unlawful. There could be another country that could be picked for this kind of process. But it's the fact that the Supreme Court has ruled Rwanda to be an unsafe third country for asylum. Why is that and what does it mean? The reason for that is 
they concluded, based on mainly evidence from the United Nations Refugee Commissioner's Office, that they did not have enough certainty that the legal and judicial and political system in Rwanda was safe enough that people would be processed in a fair way and also that they would be safe there. In one sense, the fact that the whole idea of deporting asylum seekers to a third country is not ruled out is quite good for the government in the sense you say, well, they could just send people somewhere else. But Rwanda was picked not because it was the ideal choice, because it's very, very difficult to get another country to agree to do this. And they've invested you know, a lot of money between 150 and 200 million pounds, depending which person you ask and a lot of administrative will and political capital on getting this to work. And it's this very difficult balancing act of finding a country that is uh, a developing enough country that it would be willing to go into a financial relationship like this with a Western country, but also safe enough for people to be sent there and able to process them in a way that the UNHCR and Supreme Court judges would deem to be safe. And it's not at all clear that there's any other countries that could do that. I think the government will probably look at this. It'll be one of many options they will look at. But it's very, very hard to start from scratch with a different country. And so the government has lost. But by Wednesday evening, the prime minister was incredibly bullish. And he insisted that the Rwanda plan would not be blocked. What did he have to say? There was a dynasty press conference uh, called and the uh, assembled media, including me, were told that they plan to do two things, the first of which is to introduce emergency legislation, um, uh, which sometimes can be rushed through Parliament in as little as a day. It remains to be seen in, in this case, which would essentially try to legislatively knock down the Supreme Court's worries about Rwanda not being a safe country by declaring it a safe country. And this might seem like a silly thing. You know, you don't make a country safe by saying it is. But this goes back to the fact that legislation passed by Parliament is supreme in the UK. And if Parliament and elected MPs and peers say it's so, then a UK court in theory cannot challenge this. So I'm also announcing today that we will take the extraordinary step of introducing emergency legislation. This will enable Parliament to confirm that with our new treaty, Rwanda is safe. It will ensure that people cannot further delay flights by bringing systemic challenges in our domestic courts and stop our policy being repeatedly blocked. This then has complications because there's legislation which competes with this, not least domestic legislation, which enshrines the European Convention on Human Rights and also the Refugee Convention too. So it's hard to say now, but it's possible there could still be a uh, UK domestic legal challenge to it. So just to be clear, they're not giving up, but they're looking for other ways around working against this ruling, which include creating a Rwanda treaty. The idea would be the Rwanda Agreement, which was a kind of informal memorandum of uh, understanding, would be boosted to being a full treaty, which would be ratified by uh, MPs. And that gives it more protection from the courts. It's interesting because the reaction when the judgment came out from at least one Conservative MP was to tweet, you know, this is the end of it. We need to try and find completely different ways, like improving our relationships with France, trying to find a way to send more uh, asylum seekers who crossed in small boats over to France. But to give up on this incredibly symbolic policy would have been very, very difficult for Sunak and Number 10 and would have enraged the right of the party. So they're going to press on. 
There is an argument about whether this is just a performative process, almost, one that's not going to get anything done. But you could almost say that about the Rwanda policy in general. I don't think anybody sober and serious in the immigration world thought it was actually going to, quote, stop the boats. So we're almost in another chapter in the same book, really. Peter, it's been quite the bumpy ride for the Rwanda plan since Priti Patel, then the Home Secretary, first announced it in April 2022. And today, our approach as two outward-looking countries has led to the signing of a new international partnership, which is a world first. It is a migration and economic development partnership with the country of Rwanda and the UK. This will see some of those arriving illegally in the UK, such as those crossing the channel in dangerous small boats, relocated to Rwanda to resettle and to rebuild their lives in the way in which the Minister has just outlined. Can you remind me when and why it first came into being? It first came into being because the issue of asylum seekers and other migrants illicitly crossing the channel came to prominence for two reasons. The first was there'd always been a general flow of people from northern France over to the UK. The traditional way that they'd do that would be to stow away on Eurostar trains or underneath lorries. There was that whole period when there was this big Calais camp where migrants every night would try and get over to the uh, to the UK. And there would obviously be figures on how many people would cross over, but it wasn't really visible. But a combination of COVID and then also better security mechanisms um, at the ports meant that they started to resort to this method that lots of migrants used to initially get into Europe to get to Italy and Greece, which is crossing the channel on these very flimsy inflatable boats. And this gave this very visual image of people coming into the country. And certain politicians on the right decided to, you know, point this out. And it very quickly went from something that was not noted amongst the concerns of people to MPs getting vast amounts of letters and uh, emails about it. It became a very, very big thing and the government felt they had to do something about it. But the argument always was that it was a deterrent to stop people crossing over and in those small boats, that Rwanda was unappealing enough uh, to stop people from coming here, but also safe enough that it would be allowed that they'd be deported there. And of course, there was an immediate backlash and there has been since. Critics have called the programme shameful and inhumane. Can you tell me how effective that campaign was? I think it's hard to say. There are people on the right of the Conservative Party who would like to go a lot further than is being done. They would almost like the Reform UK thing of literally not letting the boats land. You know, there was all this stuff discussed before of creating artificial waves to push the dinghies back or getting the Royal Navy to turn them back. So there's a certain amount of opinion amongst Conservative MPs, which is reflected to an extent within parts of the nation, which has got no moral qualms about this whatsoever. What was easier for Labour and the uh, opposition parties and slightly more difficult for Number 10 is that it was enough of a clear moral choice. This idea of not just processing people in another country, but even if their case for asylum was completely watertight to never allow them back. That prompted um, a lot of angst amongst your slightly more liberal-minded Conservative MPs. It made it easy for Labour to condemn it, and Labour on immigration matters don't like to oppose the government that much for you know, fairly obvious reasons. But it helped other groups, like not just charities, but even the Church of England said this is not only a policy that will not work, but it's not a moral policy. And 
those two arguments are quite powerful. The government has said that the Rwanda policy aims to deter people arriving in the UK through illegal, dangerous or unnecessary methods. There is little or no evidence that this deterrence or the hostile environment works. The government's own impact assessment confirms that. Outsourcing our share creates more opportunities for people smugglers to operate in and around Rwanda. It's not a solution, it's a mistake, and it will be a failure. And in all of that, in the 18 months since it was launched, in the approximately £140 million that's been paid to the Rwandan government, no one was actually deported to Rwanda. How close did they get? We came very close. We came close enough to the point of having people load onto planes. And to an extent, that's how these court challenges work. You had to have the prospect of people being flown there for them to be able to appeal to the courts, which initially went to the High Court and then the Court of Appeal and the Supreme Court now. As some people have pointed out, the um, government has so far sent more Home Secretaries and more journalists than they actually have people who arrived on the, uh, on the small boats. Peter, it seemed like an uphill legal battle for the government from the very beginning, and yet commitment to Rwanda hasn't wavered. The now former Home Secretary, Suella Braverman, declared it was her dream to see flights deporting asylum seekers to Rwanda. I would love to be having a a front page of the Telegraph with a a plane taking off to Rwanda. That's my dream. She's, of course, since been sacked, sent the PM an incredibly scathing three-page letter accusing him of betraying the country, of being weak, of utterly failing to stop this scheme from being the disaster that it is. What does she and her allies think should happen now? Swella Braffman's letter was quite an interesting one because she had promised the previous day she was going to have, quote, more to say. And at that point, when ministers step down, you think, oh, yeah, you know, what exactly can they say? But it was this blistering three-page tweeted letter. The most inflammatory and difficult part for the Prime Minister was she said that when he was standing for leader after Liz Truss uh, quit office, she was originally in the Boris Johnson camp, but she agreed to back him if he signed up to a whole series of things connected to immigration and small boats and various other reasonably hard right areas. And she says that there is a letter that he signed agreeing to all this stuff, which hasn't been seen yet. But if it does turn out that this is the case, it makes him not only look slightly weak in being so keen to get her on his side, he would agree to all this stuff, which was probably not really possible. But he went into number 10 saying he was going to be honest and open and stuff like that. And if he signs secret deals and then goes back on them, that doesn't make him look very good. Just after the Supreme Court verdict came out, there was a meeting of right-wing MPs who were broadly allied to her. And the responses were, is that they basically want the government to ignore what the ruling says. They want it to either withdraw from the European Convention on Human Rights and potentially the Refugee Convention, even though it's not at all clear that that would free the legal way. Some of them have basically just said we should ignore the ruling and just start to fly people out. And then in the meantime, all of this lands on the desk of James Cleverley, who was Foreign Secretary and has been Home Secretary since Monday. We've heard the government's response... What will Cleverley's approach now be, do you think? I think it's interesting. In terms of policy, it's probably not going to be particularly different. The Rwanda policy was always set from number 10. And Rishi Sunak, for all his differences with Swella Braverman, was always um, a fan of the policy, always pushed for it. 
Cleverly is interesting because I think in just the tone will be different. He's not the sort of person to describe marches as uh, hate marches or homelessness as a lifestyle choice. He's quite an ideological uh, MP. He's going to try and dial it down and try and basically take the excitement out of things, which is arguably what is maybe needed now. And what do we know about his position on the Rwanda policy up until now? I mean, Yvette Cooper has suggested that Cleverly has said in private that he thinks the Rwanda plan is, and I quote, batshit. I don't believe the new Home Secretary ever believed in the Rwanda plan. He distanced himself from it and his predecessor's language on it. He may even, on occasion, have privately called it batshit. But he and I agree. (laughs) To be completely honest, I think if you took 90% of Conservative MPs and injected them with a truth drug and, you know, one that worked, then they would probably say the same thing. I don't think there's many MPs who genuinely believe it would actually achieve what it was meant to do. It was always a policy to try and show that the government would, quote, do whatever they could to try and uh, try and stop the boats. Cleverly is definitely more liberal with a small L than uh, Suella Braverman was. He supported the small boats plan because everyone in government had got to do that. And he still will. You know, he's a very loyal minister. Uh, Sunak wouldn't have put him in that job if there's any doubts about that. And what about the actual numbers in terms of the tens of thousands of people crossing the channel? What did that figure look like pre-Rishi Sunak's plan and what does it look like now? So uh, in 2022, just under 46,000 people made the trip. This year, the figures seem to be gradually going down. I mean, by September, there were about 20,000 having made the trip, which compares to 25,000 people for the same period of 2022. So the numbers are dropping, though, you know, arguments as to why tend to be mixed. Most people seem to think that the weather is uh, a factor. The fact that the summer this year has been slightly wetter and windier and rougher There is one thing that number 10 claims is a success, which almost certainly is a success. The percentage of uh, Albanian nationals crossing in the small boats has gone down an awful lot. And that's because there's been um, a bilateral deal made whereby Albanian nationals, for the most part, unless they have a genuine claim, tend to be removed back very, very quickly. And that seems to have been a disincentive for uh, Albanian nationals who have dropped an awful lot. So there's now only a very small number of the people crossing in small boats come from there. Coming up, where does this week's ruling leave Rishi Sunak's pledge to stop the boats? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. 
It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Peter, Rishi Sunak said that he won't allow foreign courts to block these flights, suggesting that he might take the nuclear option and quit the European Convention on Human Rights. Is there any sign the government really might be tempted to go down that route? And if the Rwanda policy does get caught up in the courts again, what are the options for stopping the boats? There basically are no options to stop the boats beyond setting in place you know, reception centres on the northern French coast for a mass process of safe and legal claims, which is not going to take place. It's very hard to tell as to whether they would pull out the uh, ECHR. I think before an election, almost certainly not. There's an enormous amount of complexities to it, not least the fact you end up in this small and not very welcome club of European nations which are not signed up to it. But there's specific UK-wide problems that the Northern Ireland Good Friday Peace Agreement is tied into the uh, ECHR. And as we saw with Brexit over the years, if you do things that try to unpick the Northern Ireland peace deal, things get very, very complicated very, very quickly. But, you know, the ruling made it very, very clear that the ECHR is not the only or even arguably the main reason why the Rwanda flights can't take place. It also is connected to the wider Convention on Refugees. And there are some people on the conservative right who have said that the whole refugee convention doesn't work in a modern age and we need to think about it again. But this is very, very big stuff. And if you committed the Conservative Party to pulling out from that, I think you would lose a lot of MPs from the left of the party. And so how do you see all this playing out with the different factions within the party? It's really hard to tell because in some ways he's been quite tough. Uh, Saying you're going to put through emergency legislation always makes you sound as a prime minister quite tough. And he's basically lining up a whole load of people who we can blame. So if the emergency legislation is held up by the Lords, he can blame the peers. If then it's passed, but the European Court then still blocks the flights, he can blame them. And it comes down to the fact that Sunak was very, very clear at the start of this year that he would, quote, stop the boats. I mean, he officially didn't give a time frame uh, on it. But certainly Conservative MPs of that feeling thought by the general election something would be done. And he was asked three times at the press conference, can you guarantee flights to Rwanda will have left before the uh, election takes place? And he dodged the question every single time. He said, you know, we're working as hard as we can. So there's two potential problems for the party. The one of which is the right of the party get peeved at the lack of progress on this. And the second is he gets tempted into particularly, uh, I hesitate to say rash, certainly right-leaning actions such as promising to leave the European court 
which would really, really upset the centre of the party. So there's no easy way out, really. And amid all this noise, I guess it's easy to forget that this case was actually about 10 people who at one point were due to be put on a plane to Rwanda and now, of course, won't be. Peter, what will happen to them and to others like them? I mean, one accidental good bit of news about this whole process is that the uh, asylum claim rate has picked up a bit because the focus on the system has allowed Labour to say again and again and again how there's about 170,000 odd people whose cases have not been processed and how the delays for doing this is taking longer and longer. There is a quite strong argument that refugee charities and others have made to let asylum seekers work while they're waiting for their claims to be processed so they can pay for themselves, you know, contribute tax and stuff like that. But that, for various political reasons, won't get done. I think for now, though, the people who are already in the country, the threat of being put on a plane and flown to a country thousands of miles away with an iffy human rights record, they won't be facing that. And I can only imagine, as someone who has arguably fled a war or trauma or something like that, the idea of being put in a plane and dropped somewhere strange must have been an incredibly traumatic thing. So that, for now, no longer hangs over them. But, you know, their immigration lawyers, their advisers, the charities will say to them that the government is still trying to push on with this. So the threat hasn't gone. Peter, thank you so much. Thank you. That was The Guardian's deputy political editor, Peter Walker. You can follow all of our rolling coverage at theguardian.com. You can also listen to the new episode of Politics Weekly with more on the fallout from the Rwanda decision, as well as the Commons vote last night on backing a ceasefire in Gaza and where that leaves the Labour Party. Find that wherever you listen to Today in Focus. That's it for today. I'm Nishin Iqbal. This episode was produced by Lucy Hoff and Natalie Katena. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. We're back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.